This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoff, Logan Paulson with you. And Logan, good one today. You're going to get real nerdy X's and O's type of stuff. And then ask one of our last remaining mailbag questions, kind of leftover from last week, about some of the rookie offensive linemen and decisions about roster building in regards to them and kind of what, what, how they spent their springs and how we anticipate them spending their fall. So we'll get to all of that. But you, sir, you've been doing a research project. You've been doing some yeah. homework. Uh, and that homework is to look at the differences in the Air Coriel offense, which, of course, a version of was run here the last three years under Scott Turner, and the West Coast offense, which is going to be run by Eric Bieniemy, coming off that Andy Reid, you know, Mike Holmgren, et cetera, yeah. coaching tree. So uh, I'll let you take it from here. I certainly know a little bit about the histories here, but um, why did you want to do this besides the obvious? And, and what are some of the, the high-level things that you found before we get into the nitty-gritty? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing that was interesting was like, you know, everyone always throws these terms around. Oh, it's the Air Coriel, it's the West Coast offense. But there's no like, you know, no one really gives any context for what that means exactly. Obviously, they, they were kind of founded and developed by different people. Obviously, Don Coriel with the Air Coriel offense. And then um, the guy, uh, the, the coach of the 49ers, yeah, name Bill, Walsh. Me. Bill Walsh, thank you, um, kind of while he was in Cincinnati and then uh, the Browns and then moved to San Francisco where it became like the thing that it is now, which is like everybody's running it. And I just really think like that whole process, and we'll talk about the history of it a little bit, is like, you know, Mel Blunt, they made that Mel Blunt rule uh, in 1978, basically saying that you can't tackle receivers to the ground anymore in coverage um mm. and so basically like what that means is it kind of opened up some of the passing games right and it made it really challenging to press receivers in the way that they had been traditionally pressing them and so kind of at the same time which i was really surprised about the air coriel and the west coast offense kind of develop so in that, like that 1978 type of range and so basically like i think there really are they're they're like they are byproducts of the system with which and with which they were created. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Eric Coriel and, um, you know, Don Coriel kind of said, we have Fouts. He's got a big, strong arm. We've got some of the best receivers in football. Let's push this sucker down the field, right? Let's be really aggressive. And the best way I kind of kind of can kind of articulate it is it's like they're, they're gambling, right? They're basically saying like, this is a lower percentage throw, you know, like on a, on a vertical route or a deep post or a deep corner. 
um, you know, kind of in that 15 to 20 yard range of target, but the yield is much, much higher. And obviously they were able to kind of maximize that. And obviously Kellen Winslow Jr. with like this move tight end and then, you know, kind of really the first F for Joker tight end in the NFL kind of characterizes that role. And you see that now, like probably with Greg Olson and Carolina having that great move piece there that can make all those plays for you. Um, but also they have great offensive lines because you got to protect those concepts that move down the field. And then, you know, um, Bill Walsh and the, the the West Coast offense is kind of he uh, his quarterback when he was in um, was he when he was with the Browns, I think was a guy who didn't have a big arm. So it was kind of like, let's spread it out and create a lot of width in the field and work on our timing and work on precision. And that's where you see some of these West Coast offense come in. And so like, that's like super high level, like some differences you see. And like, historically, obviously, like the tree for the West Coast offense as defined by Bill Walsh is insanely long. And then with the Air Coriel, it's a little bit shorter, kind of a, a tighter group of guys that run that. And um, at this point in the NFL, there's a lot of cross-pollination, a lot of carryover between the two. <clears throat> but what I would say is that, like, basically, the the West Coast offense is the Bill Walsh offense is trying to stretch you horizontally, trying to stretch that 53 yards and then throw with good timing into some of those spots as opposed to trying to get the ball down the field and stretch the defense vertically. So um those are kind of the big differences and also the other thing that really came out in like my research and i think we talked about this a little bit on the podcast is the air coriel was kind of the first like number scheme offense you know the uh 989 type of stuff where you got uh the x has a uh, a go the y has a post and the z has a go and um and to me the thing that came out of like reading and kind of looking at the different plays that were original West uh, original air Coriel is it really did limit their ability to call and diversify formations. And that was one of the things we kind of talked about last year with Scott is like that language or that lack of language and the lack of tags really made it challenging for them to kind of get out of that nine man route tree or nine combination route tree, you know, like one's a flat, two's a slant, and then all the way three's a drag and kind of go through. Right. And so um, I think that's one of the reasons you see people, from the West Coast offense, especially in the NFL, kind of have more success because it's like, oh, hey, they <clears throat> they changed how they're running cover two. Now we don't have to change our whole offensive philosophy. We just tag somebody different in the play call. And so that, I think, was really interesting as kind of a, a defining feature of why one is a little bit more successful, I would say, than the other. Obviously, there's a lot of cross-pollination, but you know, high level, that's kind of what I was thinking, thinking about there. Yeah, so a couple of things. Um... Virgil Carter was the name of the quarterback uh, in you. Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, I yep. looked that up while you were talking. Uh, that is not a Thank fun you. fact that I know uh, or a new, but I guess it's one that I know now. Virgil yep. Carter, uh, known for his mobility and accuracy, not necessarily his big, strong arm. So he, right. you know, Bill Walsh designed this offense. He leads the league in completion percentage. The way I've always thought of it is vertically versus horizontally oriented. Yeah. Ultimately, you're trying to create space. And, yeah. you know, the Air Coriel system tries to create that space vertically. And like you said, there's there's a little bit lower uh, success rates, but higher mm -hmm. payoff. So you wind up with kind of that average in the middle. And then, you know, they, the numbers of the equation change the other way for the horizontal uh, horizontally spaced West Coast offense, where higher success rate, but lower yield. And thus, hopefully, if well executed, you kind of average out the same. But like you said, I, I think it's interesting too some of the ways in which especially even recently guys like Cooper Cup and um, what's the dude in um, 
uh, Hunter Renfro in, in yeah. uh, Oakland and now in Vegas, the way those guys have kind of created routes, um, yeah. that's a lot harder to do in a numbers-based system because you can't just say like, all right, that's a 13 route. I guess you could, but um, it it's a lot easier to sense, be like, yeah. hey, this is a return route. Like, what's a return yeah. route in the Air Coriel system? It doesn't exist. I think they got it. So like now, like when you get into more modern playbooks, so Scott's offense, Norv's offense in Carolina, it's the 989 and they got to tag the F, that kind of third receiving option. He gets a tag. And so they did kind of adopt some of the tags, but even that becomes challenging because then you have to tag two people and you are kind of in this weird hybrid where you still get the the 989 you know f return h check or whatever and it's and it just the the flexibility of the rest of the concept i don't think matches the tag all the time so it's kind of in like these two spaces and so you know what i mean and and uh so like i think that let's let's let me pin down on that for a second so like you have a structure with a 989 that's that's easy to talk about it's three verticals right and right. traditionally in the Air Coriel, like the backs would stay in and protect. The fullback would protect, the halfback would protect. And you would just rely on one of your big receivers to win. Like the, maybe the most iconic Air Coriel offense of all time is um, is Dallas back in the 90s, right? With Irvin and, you know, Emmett right. Smith and that, that group that was really dynamic. Think about big receiver who can win contested catches. And that was one of the criticisms here when they brought that um, Air Coriel derivative offense here was because <clears throat> they didn't have that big body consistently winning that contested catch. Like Terry's good at it, but he, it wasn't like his, he's not like six, five, just jumping over right. people the way that, so he somehow wins you, balls like that, but he's not, he does. he's not the prototype. Right. Absolutely. And so, so then, so you got nine, eight, nine, right. And then I want to say, I want the back to run an angle that the concept now, and, it, and this is one of the things that you get in the West coast offense. It's now a different concept. The, the defense is going to react differently to that angle route. The seam is going to move different. The linebacker is going to push different. So instead of me having to say 989, but you have to hear the tag for the F as the tight end or the, the, the Z receiver or whatever it is, now I can just be like, hey, you know, like, for example, three verticals in Kyle's offense is all go, right? right. And you would say all go special if you want them to cross release. You get all go special F angle. And then, then you're just like, and it's an easier because you're like, okay, all right, he's given me words to kind of cue in on this as opposed to me having to adjust this 989 concept, which is our base concept, just knowing the different route tags for other players. So it just allows you a little bit more flexibility, I think. And like when you look at the trees, like you look at the, the trees that stem from Mike Holgram, like like damn near everybody in the NFL runs is runs a version of that offense. Right. Outside Holgren, of I believe, guys. was uh, an assistant under Walsh. I can double check that. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Him and yeah. Mike and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the other thing too is like, okay, so how do the concepts build off each other? So let, like you say, the 989 type of thing, um, and, and then you kind of compare it to all go, right? So all go is not necessarily, anyone who played Madden even knows this, right? It's not just four verticals, right? Against certain coverages, one of those becomes a post. Um, yeah. There's also, I know like when Jay was here, there was all go thunder where the two outside receivers against certain coverages run stop routes. You have all go yeah. special where you have the switch release but they all build off similar concepts as sure. opposed to like, if you're trying to, you'll have to help me out with the numbers here, but like I'll go thunder with that stop route, stop yeah. routes on the outside. How does that translate to a number system versus simply all go thunder? So that's so you the got crazy thing is, yeah, it's like, I want to say it's four, but then they don't really right. have a, they don't really have like a deep comeback. They have a hitch, right? And so that's where it gets right. a little bit like 
weird is like, do we, cause a seven's a corner an eight's a post, a nine's a go, a six is a dig or five's a dig. So it's a six a deep comebacks is a, is a six. So it'd be six, eight, six. Right. But what do I do? I have to tag the F on a go every single time. Right. And that's where it gets a little bit cumbersome and clunky. And it's also formationally a little bit weird. Right. It makes it challenging to kind of say I'm taking, you know, the middle number is the Y usually. Right. And I'm going to move the Y to a bunch. Right. And now all of a sudden it's like, how does that play out? Are you coaching it to go in order where it's like it, it mirrors the bunch or does the Y have to remember that I've got the eight no matter what? And so. I think, again, you know, we've talked about this before. It's one of those things where it's like people super familiar get really comfortable. But the more you read about the offense, like one of the criticisms is that it doesn't have the flexibility week in and week out to just say, hey, like, let's tag this with this. And let's let's add this. Let's change this split. Let's do this. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you see the prevalence of the West Coast offense now. And, and they, they've, they've cannibalized pretty much every air Coriel offense and made it fit you know, concept that made it fit in the West Coast offense. Right. But it just gives you flexibility because I could be like, hey, you know, um, let's go solar right nasty. And then I get the, re the Z receiver in a tight split. And now I can say, hey, Z curl. Um, and then I can say a bow concept on the backside. Right. And that's just e it's just easier for me to make sure I'm getting everything. Out. It does. It does require the players to know more, like like remember more. <clears throat> but I think in today's NFL with defenses always evolving, you want the ability just to be like, hey, we've got something for that solution that they've they presented. So, right, and the routes become very flexible too. And I think that's the other big difference, right? Is you know the nine eight nine again or the the six eight six, like they exist in both offenses, right? But the coaching yeah. points might be different because you're trying to create either vertical or horizontal space based yeah. off of which offense we're talking about. And that's where I think the magic of coaching really is in the NFL. And we've talked about this with the enemy a lot is the attention to detail, the coaching points. Sean was always great at this. We want to hit this spot because we're trying to move yeah. this guy, which creates this window. And those kinds of things I feel like are more flexible and against current defenses have better success um, in the West coast system. That said, I think guys yeah. like Kyle and Sean and Kevin, and you know, all these, these smart younger coaches who have been around multiple systems, especially probably take some, and, and even, you know, their predecessors, uh, before them that it got exposed, <clears throat> they probably took some coaching points from Eric Coriel. So when you talk about, Absolutely. you know, the, the kind of amalgamation, the, the blending of these two systems, you can teach Eric Coriel teaching points on a certain route yeah you know that was you know bill walsh taught it this way we're going to teach it the don carry way but we're running a west coast offense with west coast yeah. verbiage and we actually get the kind of the best of both worlds and i think that's where the best nfl offenses are at this point is they understand yeah. the principles of what they're trying to achieve they've done the work to figure out what's the best way to achieve them and they have the language to actually get the players to you know line up that way and execute that way on the field on sundays and that's how you get the best of the best. Yeah, and I also I think that's a really succinct description of what's going on. I think the other thing that sticks out to me though, it's like in the West Coast offense, like how easy is it to add RPO? How easy it to is it to add zone read because it's just tags. Right? I'm just mm -hmm. tagging more stuff and I think that's where that's where it becomes a little bit more flexible in terms of language and verbiage to get some of that stuff done as opposed to kind of having to live with one foot in in one language and one foot in the other, it's like, Hey, we're all, everything's tags in West coast. And, you know, Curtis Samuels has talked about, we talked about this on the show about how wordy the play calls is. And that's true of West coast. You know, everyone remembers that Jay Gruden, you know, spider two Y banana and the crazy formation that comes before it, but it allows you to position people 
where you want to position them. And so now it makes it more stressful for the defense because like everybody won't run spider two wide banana. Like it used to just be done out of like a normal pro set tied into the, to the right fullback strong half back in the dot. And then, you know, your Z receivers to the right and your X receivers to the left. But now with like the complexity of the formations and the motions, we can get to something completely different, you know, using that same personnel that is confounding to the defense that says, Oh, well, we don't know exactly how they're lining up. So I don't know. I just think um, that that was a really interesting kind of arc. And then when I you know went back and I was like, well, let's see if this applies. You know, you go watch Kyle Shanahan, you go watch Mike LaFleur or, you know, Matt LaFleur, excuse me, in Green Bay. You go watch uh, Mike McDaniel in uh, in Miami and they still abide by some of those same principles in terms of creating width and stressing those underneath coverage players to get wide in coverage. And it was really eye-opening to me because it's so subtle. Like some of the stuff that um, Scott was doing, you know, like everyone runs dagger, you know, a a go by number two and a dig by number one. Everybody runs that. But with Kyle and with those offenses that stem from that tree, there was a huge emphasis to get something to the flat, to pull that player out, just to stretch that underneath zone a little bit more. And, you know, here, you know, I don't know if it's coaching or detailing, but like, they would run a version of um, of scissors, you know, post by the outside guy corner. And you need some type of flat def- defender to pull that that flat player out of the way to open up the corner. And they would be doing it from across the ball. And Kyle and these other offensive structures, they do a really good job of saying, like, that's going to take too long to affect the player we want. How do we best maximize his positioning in this, in this situation to affect these coverage players the way we want? So... That was really interesting to watch. You know, they, you know, we, we talk about running routes. They, they would use play action. They would use jet sweep motions to, get again, create this horizontal space in the underneath coverage of the defense. And then the throwing windows are just great for the quarterback as opposed to, like, these low percentage throws where I got to throw over somebody to a big out and really ask the receiver to make a tough catch in a tight window. It's like the windows are huge. And it's not all the time, but I'd say it was definitely more consistent. And that abides by that West Coast philosophy horizontal stretch underneath creating throwing windows for the quarterback. Definitely. Um, Last thing real quick on this. How does the run game fit into this? Like how differently is it called West coast versus Eric Coriel? And how does that ultimately affect the offense as a whole? You you know what? It went through a couple evolutions, you know, like I went from like, you know, that pro set fullback running back, big back physical running style. And um, you know, like they, to me, they're called in a similar way. Like, I don't know if there's a lot differentiating them, but, in the Air Coriel, it's this heavy gap, counter, power, downhill running approach. And obviously, that's much, much different than the outside zone stuff that Kyle runs. And now Kyle has adopted more, same with Eric Bienemy and Andy Reid, has adopted more gap scheme to kind of sprinkle in to offset the outside zone. But one of the things the, off, the outside zone does is the extended action in the backfield creates horizontal stretch in the linebackers and the safeties. And so you can use, like there was a couple times where you know, it's a two-man route concept. And I'm like, how are they creating so much space? And you go back and watch it and what the linebackers have to see, they're using the run action to pull guys out of zones, which is great. And when you're running gap scheme runs, it's so downhill that they don't really move as much, you know? And so they can just drop into their spots underneath stuff in a way that you can't do with outside zones. So I do think that was a, that was a surprising discovery, the more film I watched, honestly, of like, I don't know what I was expecting, but just the impact that the run scheme has on the pass game in some of these and how it impacts the action. Like even like, for example, in Kansas City, the way they run some of their RPOs, it's this super long 
delayed handoff where the back's running very lateral and you see the linebackers have to respect it and they move over and they create pockets, you know, where the quarterback can make an easier throw. And I just thought, well, that's detailing that handoff intersection. That's detailing the back. That's detailing the receiver split in width, right? They do it sometimes with pre-stat motion. There was a play where Kyle's an empty personnel in 21 and they just have the backs like basically on the sideline run, just turn around and look at the quarterback. But because of their width, the underneath players have to run to those spots and they create beautiful throwing lanes for the comeback. So it just it was a really cool thought experiment for me to see kind of some of these principles applied and how um, the details of the horizontal stretch really maximize throwing windows. Yeah, for sure. And the verbiage is, is relatively the same, though, like run game for is runs. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that's where you kind of run into like. I would say yes. Uh, you would you could go from scheme to scheme, and sometimes it's a little different. Like some guy gets a crazy, you know, wild hair up their butt, and it's like, oh, we're going to use colors for runs or something. You know, what I mean, whatever it is, and you're yeah. just like, how did you come to this conclusion? Uh, but a lot of times, evens to the right, odds to the left, gap schemes tend to be tighter um, numbers, like smaller numbers, you know, as opposed to outside zone, which is those eight and nine. So um, obviously, a little different. But I'd say more similar than different, just in terms of approach and philosophy, um, you know, like you tend to emphasize different runs in, in the Air Coriel. Sure. And, I, and this was something else I wanted to bring up. So like that 90s team, that 90s uh, Cowboys team where right. Norv Turner was the offensive coordinator, that team is kind of held up as the, the archetype of the modern Coriel offense. And I look at how good that team was. And they had the best offensive line in football. They had the best back in football. They had the best quarterback in football. And they had the best receiver in football. And I, and that, to me, is seems, very, seems very, very hard to replicate as a result, I think. you know, And like that's one of the reasons why Kyle and his tree is able to kind of go everywhere because they say, we, we understand that we're not always going to have the best quarterback. We're not always going to have the best offensive line. How do we maximize this in the context of this offense? So... Like that was another thing that stuck out to me. The language difference, the tools required to make the Air Coriel good was yeah. the other thing that stuck out to me. And then um, just seeing it, just seeing it in action and the principles was was interesting. But again, I just want to iterate this point as the last kind of thought here is they cross-pollinate. Like Kyle runs Air Coriel stuff. He just gets to it differently than than Scott did, for example, you know, just as a comparison. So it's, uh, it's everyone's running a little bit of everything, just – the principle that horizontal stretch was so interesting to see. Yeah. And for our purposes, um, the language allows for more flexibility in the West coast commanders are moving to West coast. Hopefully that allows right. for some of the stuff that we were hoping to see over the last couple of years. And you see that in training camp, you see a diversity yeah. in formation. You see a diversity in concept. You see a diversity in the ability personnel. to get guys out in personnel. So it's all there for you. And I think that that is, um, something that again, gets me really excited. So, yeah, going to be fun. Going to be fun. Training camp. Uh, just let's see. Let's carry the one. It's like five weeks away. It's crazy. Uh, July 27th camp opens in Ashburn. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly 
so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Whoever you are watching or listening right now, make sure you're subscribed, following. Depends on depends on the application. Spotify has follow. Apple Podcasts has subscribe. YouTube has subscribe and like because you love this right now. But there's not a love button, so just like it. All right, uh, Logan. Kind of a hot topic that we haven't touched on yet. I wanted to get through the mini camps and through OTAs and through everything first before talking about this and kind of see how it played out. But we had a mailbag question about this as well. And I've kind of thought about it and I I think it's time to have the discussion. The commanders used their third round pick on Ricky Stromberg, center out of Arkansas. They used their fourth round pick on Braden Daniels, who are there are calling a tackle. Those guys are pretty deep on the depth chart to where like if they weren't draft picks, you'd be like, oh, wow, they're on the fringe of making the team kind of place on the depth chart. And that seems, in my opinion, very silly for a third, especially third and fourth round pick. I will say that uh, Stromberg was a late, late third compensatory pick, uh, pick number 97 overall, but he's still a third round pick. And I just think there is there's kind of two avenues to go down here. One, the evaluations of the players themselves, what you thought of them coming out, what you've seen to them so far this spring. And then kind of this larger philosophical question about roster building of what taking what they're telling us, which is that these guys are backups um, and possibly even deep backups and using a third and fourth round pick on it on a football team that needs starters and, and there are players available that could have helped more immediately. So I don't know which direction you want to go first. We will cover both of them, but... Um, I think this is something that should be discussed because it's, you know, uh, the, the margins are thin in this league. And these kind these are the kinds of, you know, roster decisions, roster building decisions that help you miss or make the playoffs. And uh, of course, they're trying for in, in an incredibly important season with new ownership coming in with this front office to prove that they're a make the playoffs kind of team. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I've been uh, kicking around for a while. And so I guess we'll talk about the players first. Right. Sure. And so with in the, th- in the third round where they were picking, I think he was like the 97th pick, like yep. Ricky Strongberg. Uh, I like him as a player. I do. I, I just I don't value the center position 
the same way that they do. Obviously, that's a priority for them. You go out and you sign Nick Gates, you bring Larson back, you, you draft Stromberg. Like that, that is something that if I was building a team, Logan Paulson GM, I would not do. I so why try why to, is that? Why is the center position? Because uh, obviously it's not like it's not important. You can't throw yeah. one of us out there at center. But like, right. why is that a position that is not as valuable for you? Because in this landscape, of we want to diversify our positions. We want guys that can play multiple spots. Traditionally, centers can't play multiple spots. Guys that just play centers. And most most guys that I played with, most guards, have some center background in, in their in their history, right? And so you you get a whole bunch of really good guards, and then one of them backs up at center, like your swing guy, like West Schweitzer. I think was or West Schweitzer was a perfect example. He's a serviceable guard. He's probably a better center, but he can play all three spots. And so, you know, they've been they've been kind of touting position flex, and I, I understand the value of that in today's NFL. That's 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 extremely important. You're only carrying seven or eight guys on game day. You need to make sure you have guys that can play multiple spots. But you know, they've kind of said Nick Gates is going to play center. Ricky's going to play center, and that to me is a little bit confounding because like the the easier position to play, at least in my perspective is center. And why is that? Centers aren't covered up usually. So a guard usually have a three technique, someone over their outside shoulder, a two eye, someone over their head or a shade. And they have to negotiate that kind of at all times. Um, if you look at Travis or not Travis Kelsey, Kelsey, the center in Philadelphia, Jason, Kelsey, um, yeah. Jason, like a lot of his highlights, he's working in a combination with another player, right? Because that's the structure of an NFL defense. Very rarely are you just like drive blocking a nose. Um, and so to me, like I, that I want a guy that can block a three technique and then play center. I don't want a guy that can just play center. So as much as I like Ricky as a person and as a player in terms of, I really was really high on him as an evaluation. Um, I'm kind of like that, where does he fit in, in terms of this roster construction idea, right? How does he, how does he help you long-term? Cause he's only going to play center. I don't like, you know, I've seen him around the building. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be a top flight guard. He just doesn't have like the length or the size that some of those really good guards have. So I think he's going to be an excellent center, but that unfortunately means that he's not going to be able to play another spot for you for a couple of years at a minimum, right? Cause that's where he's getting all his reps. That's where he's most comfortable. That's what he did in college. And so uh, I think that's the thing about that pick that is somewhat, somewhat confounding to me on a certain level is, is he a good player? Absolutely. Does he fit the vision that they've been talking about? I'm not. I'm not entirely. I don't know. And and I think maybe long term they view the O line in a different lens than I do. And what I mean by that is I think that um, you know that is a that's a luxury piece that fills out depth for you. And if you think the O line is ready for that, that's great. And that's that's a question for Ron about where he feels. And I think he's been pretty emphatic about he feels that group is ready. And they just needed some kind of touch-up type type of depth pieces, um, and that's that's entirely uh, that's one of the things we're gonna have to find out as we go into training camp. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There just seems to be a philosophical difference, I feel like, between the way most people think about offensive line and the way they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we will see whether this is arrogance or whether this is, you know, well founded confidence. It very much feels like they think Eric Bieniemy can just make the, this offensive line work. They yeah. are not super talented. They are not. Well, to be they're fair, not, they are talented, but they haven't shown. They haven't lived up to the talent at all spots, right? Like Cosme, very talented guy. Sadiq sure. Charles, okay. Co- Cosme's the one. He's a Co- second. And I would say uh, Sadiq Charles also, when you look at his, when you look at him on paper and look at his height, weight, sure, speed. Sure, but he was, what round draft pick was he? I think it was a third fourth? round pick, third or fourth, something like that. Yeah. So like there's no first rounders on this, on this. Correct. Line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no studs. There's no Trent Williams. There's no some of the guys that they've had. Sheriff, uh, right, yeah. yeah, some of the guys they've had here. Some of the guys they've had in Kansas City. There's not the guys that they have in Philly. Like the 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 talent level is not high. Yeah. Um, rel- I mean, they're all NFL players, but that's kind of the thing. They're all just maybe somewhere between good. Cosby could be re- pretty good. Cosby was a second rounder. Um, you know, somewhere between pretty good to like solid NFL players. And it seems like they think the scheme, the play calling, you know, the coaching of Eric Bieniemy and his his staff can elevate them to a level. And by the way, uh, a different approach to quarterback play. Let's call it getting the ball out quickly, having someone who's a little bit more mobile back there. Um, obviously Taylor was mobile, but mm. um, you know, Sam Sam, they're going to actually run. Um, mm. You know, and that threat changes how defenses rush. So I, I just feel like there is. Uh, not a where a lot of people I think went into the off season, whether this is media type evaluators, us included uh, fans, whatever NFL observers saying they need to add talent to the offensive line. Yeah. They certainly got a little bit better position by position. There mm-hmm. is a major question at left at left guard. Um, I would say center is still kind of a pretty big question. I mean, Nick Gates hasn't played a lot of center, um, in his career, hasn't played a lot in his career period because of injuries. And, you know, Cosme hasn't been able to stay healthy. Like they, there, there's still a lot of legitimate questions about that offensive line in terms of the talent, but they seem to be okay with that. And so I'm forgetting what, what you said that prompted that thought for me, but it, it does seem, oh, cause you were like Logan Paulson GM would do it a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, that seems to be a part of the, the, the calculation is that, they just need like NFL average caliber football players and the scheme and, and everything else around it will do the rest. Well, I'm pretty confident that the scheme will elevate will elevate that group. You know, I think when you look sure. at how Wiley was used in Cincinnati, he's a good player there, you know, and it's not and he's not you mean in, in uh, this, Kansas City, Kansas City. What I say, Doesn't Cincinnati. Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wiley. And so, um, you know, it's not going to be kind of put in this you know, Air Coriel, you know, seven-step drop offense where he's, you know, he's got to win these really tough matchups down and down out. And so 
I do. I believe the scheme will elevate those guys. I think Cosme will play better again because they're going to be leveraged less. Like when you go back and watch some of the past stuff they did last year, it was a very high leverage situation oftentimes. And I think Wiley would be good. I think Cosby's got to develop. I think I feel pretty confident about Gates after watching him in the spring. Left guard, like you said, still a question mark. And then obviously left tackle. And I think he'll play better too. Leno will play better because of the scheme. I, I think that I think we're kind of missing the main point where when you say looking at draft capital and draft allocation, was Ricky Stromberg and was Braden Daniels the right selection um, given right. Just, <clears> given yeah, your we're given through. given your philosophy? And so that's the thing that I keep kind of hemming and hawing about is because like, I love my evaluation of Strongberg, but like, where, like you said, he's a third round pick. Like, where does he fit? And again, if you're drafting off your board and he's the best guy on your board, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Like you got to trust your evaluation. Is my evaluation exactly the same as yours? No. But then I go and I say, um, you know, Braden Daniels, like they think they see him as a tackle. That's what they've said. And when I look at my own evaluation, like, I don't know if I'm as confident as they are that he can play tackle. Like, I think he's going to be, to me, he reminds me a lot of Sadiq. He's got high athletic upside, technically very raw, and probably plays guard in the NFL, right? So you've done a good job of getting guys that theoretically could have multiple, play multiple positions, but unfortunately you end up with guys that can only play guard. Like Chris Paul, I think is a great example. Sadiq's a great example. Like, if he had to play tackle in a game, if either one of those guys had to play tackle in a game, you'd be a little nervous about it, right? Like they they said that last year when he played against Dallas. They were like, you know, yeah. he's, he's our third tackle. Like we don't feel great about it. There's a reason he's your third tackle. It's because his body type and his skill set lends itself more to guard. So I think that's the thing that is a little bit um, little confusing about the whole process is like you've, you've, you've prioritized position flex by getting tackles that can play guard. But I, at some point, you need to say we need to solidify this group with guys that can play tackle at a high level too, right? And um, I think they've done a good job with that. I think Wiley fits that mold to a certain extent. I think Leno fits that mold to a certain extent. I think Korn fits that mold. But in terms of areas that needed depth and development, I would have thought they would have kind of prioritized maybe tackle with one of those picks with the third round pick or the fourth round pick. And that's not an indictment of either one of those players. It's just in terms of fit and helping the roster – like they have a lot of guards on the team, you know, and so that's the thing that I'm kind of like, well, you know, does he does he move the needle for you at guard? And then, you know, Ron, I have a lot of respect for Ron, but he comes out and says Braden Daniels not in the guard competition, and it's like, so he's going to be your he's going to basically be inactive for the whole season because he's not playing tackle for you this year. So that's the thing right. that I that I kind of get a little bit. Um, and again, I'm not in the room, I'm not in the evaluation. These are just thoughts that I have regarding those decisions specifically. And I, like, I have a ton of respect for Ron, ton of respect for the organization. Um, and they have a vision, which I respect, but sometimes it doesn't always line up um, in, in my mind, I guess. Sure. So here's the way I'll put it, because th you've now touched on the part that drives me nuts and is, I would say, more my lane, um, bigger picture type of stuff than, you know, you who sits down and watches the tape and like really has an opinion on Brady Daniels. Mm -hmm. I could watch tape for hours of that guy and Think, I don't know what did Logan think. Yeah. Um, I'm not an offensive line evaluator and I don't, I don't pretend to be. Um, what I am is someone who can look at a big picture and be like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And there's just an inefficiency in it. Why are you drafting in the third and fourth round when you could be getting starters or at least guys who are going to be parts of rotations and impact you this season? Why are you drafting backups and inactive players in the yeah. fourth and, and especially the third round? 
if things go well this year, Ricky Stromberg doesn't play and, yeah. and you're not even giving him a chance. And like, that's the thing. If, if ultimately you draft him and Nick Gates is able to stay healthy and he is just better. Mm. Okay. Like that's a great problem to have. Right. Hey, this guy's good. Sweet. He beat out our rookie rookie, uh, Ricky, rookie, Ricky, keep getting better. And uh, in the future, w w you're going to play for us. Uh, but for right now, like Nick's Nick's better than you. He's got experience. He's he's more prepared, and he's going to start for us at center. And you're going to be the backup, or you're going to be an active. Um, and you you know maybe eventually you you get onto the active roster. That's fine. Um, I have no problem with that. But when you, you come into training camp or come into OTAs, and he's starting to work with the fours and the threes behind guys who have been in the league and been around and you know what they are and what they are is like fine at best with all due respect to like Tyler Larson. And was it Noah Laufenberg who, yeah. by the way, Noah Laufenberg is a large human. Big man. That is a big, big man. I kept going, who is 74? That is a giant. He's a tall, he's a tall fellow. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> tall, wide, great, yep. big offensive lineman, but like yep. he's played a little bit and it hadn't gone great. Yeah. So if, if you're not giving reps to a rookie who you took in the third round over Noah, uh, all due respect to Noah Laufenberg, as as explained, large man, Noah, I mean no harm, please. I mean no harm. Um, and Tyler it's just, it's Larson. Just, it's who, just draft equity. You've, you've invested right. in that position right. with, with, exactly. a not, with a not inconsequential piece. And so I've been a part of teams. They draft a tight end. I know the score, man. Like, And so it's a little surprising that they haven't abided by that and i and i think ricky is a is a guy that could push for starting minutes probably not this year but at some point in the future he's a good football player right the thing is like that that is i think more, probably more to your point is were there guys that were more impactful now it's impossible to know because draft evaluation is tough and everyone has a little different opinion and i know that they were looking at offensive linemen earlier and that fell through or whatever right and that happens but yeah and they and they felt like they needed to address the need but I think the other thing is like, you know, like you said, like, are they going to play football for you this year? And are you going to give them a chance? Ricky, like, probably not. Legitimately give them give them a chance to earn snaps on the field, which isn't going to happen practicing with the force. Yeah, and I think like like Ricky of the guy of the two, Ricky has the most talent potential to play this year. But Braden, you know, like like I said, there's a lot of athletic upside, a lot of things to be excited about with him. But like based on what we've seen in OTAs and based on his college film, he's not going to play for you this year. Like he's not, you know, and so he's going to be one of your 53 guys that are active on game day because you don't want to lose him. And he's going to be not playing football for you. And so I think that's the thing that is, again, like to your point, it's 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 tough to negotiate that for a team. Now, I think when you maybe you take a step back, take a big step back and say, like, maybe the roster is healthy enough to tolerate kind of a youth development program and then what i mean by that is you look at the defense and i don't know where you would draft anybody maybe linebacker i don't know but that's, obviously that's the one uh position that i was thinking of and and that's the point i would make next is like they don't need any more corners like yeah. they're already pretty deep there um and, Receiver, it, and, and no, especially the like no. third round yeah. yeah running back no like it's it's and so like where would you go and linebacker is a position in this last draft especially that was tough it was a tough position to evaluate. It was a tough to, to, to find a position where guys – so, like, I, I think I told you this when I'm doing my draft stuff, where I just go yes or no for first pass, right? Can he play in the NFL? Yes or no. 
And it was hard to find guys that I would give a yes to, just to give you some context. So I know a lot of those guys went earlier in the round, the guys that were kind of tweener, high upside players. Um, and so maybe they were like, there's nobody here that we think can do it. So why am I going to waste a pick in that area just for the position on a position that's been devalued by the NFL? But I do look at, I do look and I say, well, you know, they, that's the other crazy thing is they did a great job in, uh, with UDFAs getting four receivers that look good enough that they can make the squad. So it's, it, it's tough. And I, the thing that, the thing that sticks out to me, I think I mentioned this to you, Craig, is like, there were other players around that position that I had a higher draft grade on. And I don't have access to the medical. And so that's why those that guys that I felt like were emphatically yes in terms of how they could contribute and compete for a roster spot. And um, and they went in a different direction. Again, like Ricky was like my third grade, fourth graded center. And all the other centers that I had ahead of him were gone. So like I like like that's good value there. But for this team in this sure. roster, is there a different way you could have gone? Yeah. I mean, was there well, the other thing I would say, too, is like they took Rodriguez and KJ Henry later because they have mm-hmm. gotten better players at those positions. And, and I would, we have to go back and look at the board and, you know, even us doing that, the reason we're not going to do it is because we don't know, um, yeah. you know, like what we their, don't know what their evaluations and were. Yeah. And for all we know, they got steals that KJ Henry in the fifth is going to wind up being a better NFL football player than who they would have taken in the third. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're now in this post draft, like we'll see kind of thing. Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm like, he's practicing with the fours. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, he's moved up to the threes. I think Stromberg by the end of, of OTAs did get a couple reps with the twos, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So maybe it's just, you know, kind of the, the rookie formality and we're making a little bit too much out of it and, you know, we'll see what happens when he gets to, to training camp. But if you, if you had asked me the day after the draft, and we probably talked about it this way on the podcast immediately after the draft is Ricky Stromberg, their starting center. I would have said, yeah, probably like that's yeah. why you draft him in the third round. Excellent. Good draft pick. Good job. Yeah. But if he's not, and he's not even going to legitimately get a chance to compete for it, that changes how I view the use of that asset, right? Yeah. Getting, now I'm getting ready for the radio show where I'm going to talk a lot about Bradley Beal and asset management, right? Yeah. But like this is, this is the game in the salary cap era of this sport and other sports is that you have to manage your assets well. And whether that is trading a player who you're not going to re-sign and recouping some value, um, if that value is greater than the compensatory pick, um, you know, a la the conversations we could be having about Chase Young or Montez Sweat if this season goes sideways, um, whether it it's using draft picks on the right type of guys who are going to contribute in the right ways for your roster. You just can't be inefficient. And I, and I just feel like that's my kind of gripe with it is those picks felt inefficient. Um, if they have the roster depth to deal with that, and, and that that is also like a way to build, right? You you build yeah. it up enough that you can take some of those risks and maybe you know, say, hey, Daniels is not going to play for us right now, but we feel like in two years he could be a really good player. Okay. Yeah. Um, if that's your timeline and you feel good about every other position, but you just better have everything else shored up. And that's, and my, and my that's the thing where you, I think we're a little unconvinced. And my, yeah. And my question to you would be like, is uh, like, what, like, what are the odds that he's going to like, that he's going to reach that, that he's going to be like, have that ability to be your starter or whatever it is, you know, like, that's the thing. It's like, they're, I don't know. I don't want to get too, too sidetracked there, but it, it just, it's. That, that what if question that you pose there, I think is really compelling because it's like, yeah, like that'd be great if he turns into this guy, but you're counting on a ton of development from a guy who's right. very raw. And again, like, again, there are flashes with da- Daniel's film and I think he can be, he has the physical capability 
of being a starting caliber player. I just think it's going to be a guard. And I think Stromberg yeah. is a guy that I like a lot. He's going to he like he is he's close to contributing to an NFL roster, but he's going to sit for a year. And again, like, would you have been better served like drafting a guy that was more ready or, or whatever? And they, they, it's it's an unknowable question right now. And we'll know in a couple of years. But I think that's why that feels a little funky to a lot of fans and a lot of guys in the media, too. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add, too, is especially at the offensive line position, um, yes, you're in on field goal protect, but like, yeah. there's not a lot of special teams value in the meantime. Yeah, And so you wind up being inactive and like literally being, you know, respectfully a zero because you're not playing yeah. um, the entire year, um, plus whatever you add on the practice field, which can be valuable. But um, it's not like it's not like if you miss on a safety, he's uh, Jeremy. Playing teams. He's and, playing teams, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we accidentally, you know, we missed on our safety, but or maybe they knew he was going to be a team's guy, but like he's not good enough to play safety down in down out for many years of his career, but he's an all pro special teamer. So he's contributing in a very meaningful way. You don't get that on offensive line. And so that's, that's another, you know, kind of facet to this argument um, that I think should be considered. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to, just to finish up, like, I think we, you know, I've met both those guys, Braden Daniels and Ricky Stromberg. Yeah. They're awesome kids. I think they're good football players. It's we're just talking about, you know, can can is this is was that the right decision for them? Not are, are those guys bad football players? We're not saying that. Got a lot of respect for them and, and what they're doing stuff. But um, like, can does does this basically does this roster have the uh, have the depth to basically redshirt two players and a third or fourth round pick for the year? And yeah, well, I don't know if they do or not, and we'll find out yeah. soon enough. Yeah, and you know, I'll say this. We'll finish up on a positive note, if you will. To the team's credit, someone's got to be inactive. Yeah. So, right. you know, typically it is going to be later offensive linemen. If those are talented, um, if those are talented futures projects, if you will, then okay, someone's got to be. But I think the the reality is we know that the idea that like, oh, these guys are going to be inactive the whole year. We don't need those roster spots is wishful thinking with injuries in the NFL where guys are going to have to step up because, you know, guys in front of them go down. And how do you, do you have the depth to fill those spots? And that's really the ultimate question that we're asking to which we'll find out the answer as the year goes. Uh, Coming up on the next podcast, I do believe we're going to have James Smith Williams on the show. He's got an awesome uh, football camp coming up this summer. We'll talk to him about that. And of course, all of the the playing things, uh, do a little biography stuff with him, some coaches and mentors that were impactful along his journey. Uh, I've gotten to know James pretty well over the last couple of years. I know you've worked with him, so that should be a really, really fun chat. Looking forward to having James on the show. Uh, other than that, we're working on some other cool stuff for the summer, so make sure you're subscribed, and then uh, training camp will be here before we know it. Uh, if you liked this episode and you're watching it on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button, smash that subscribe button, as the kids say, and we will see you next time here on Take Command.